Welcome to No Apology with the Bible Idiots. I'm Chris Danielson. Emily's out today, but it's long-form teaching. And we're going to go to my sermon from last Sunday. I originally named this message, We Be Branches, but it's the branch life staying grafted in. And hey, for all you regular listeners to the long-form teaching, I apologize for the audio clipping in last week's. I'm going to work hard to not let that ever happen again. Hey, you can join us at BibleIdiots.com. Right now, let's go to the main worship center at Lifehouse Church in Abilene, Kansas, for the message I gave on Sunday. The name of the message today is A Branch Life. When I originally wrote this message, I was calling it Grafted In, We Be Branches. And I want you guys to get the branch concept in your mind. And we're about to go deep today. This is going to come fast, and it could easily be three or four sermons. And as we go, I'll actually point out where you could see another sermon possibly coming. Easily could do these 11 verses over a four to five week uh, message. And I'm not saying it ain't coming, but right now we're going to do this overview, and it's going to happen fast. And the context of this is so cool to understand. So with that, we're going to read John 15, verses 1 through 11. Highly encourage you to bring your Bibles to church, to mark them up, to have that. And if you do electronically, you know, work it out for yourself. So I'll have the verses on the screen. But let's out of respect one more time just stand for the reading of God's Word. John 15, 1 through 11. Jesus is speaking. These are all red letters. I am the true vine. And my Father is the gardener. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes. And he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I in you. Just as the branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside like a branch and he withers. They gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want and it'll be done for you. My Father is glorified by this that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples." As the Father loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and remain in his love. Verse 11. I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. Heavenly Father, let these be your words to your children now. In Jesus' name, amen. Be seated, please. The context as I said before I read the scripture, it's so cool to understand. This is, without a doubt, one of the strongest passages in the scripture for those of us who want to be disciples for Christ. In the last verse in chapter 14, it tells us that Jesus and his disciples are about to leave the upper room. They're headed to the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus will pray his great high priestly prayer and will later be arrested by the mob by Judas, okay? That's when this all happens. That's when he says these words. So apparently, Jesus speaks the words that make up chapters 15 and 16 en route to the garden. That's the most understood thing. Now, Jesus knows it's over until after his resurrection to talk to these guys again, and he knows what they're going to be going through. And so in this chapter, Jesus 
on that walk gives them the picture for us as the true vine. He says, I am the trunk. I am the true trunk. I am the tree of life. And I can imagine Jesus and these guys going through some of those darkened streets of Jerusalem. And if you've ever been there, you know how Old Town has the valley over to where, the, you know, down to the valley where the Garden of Gethsemane is. And up, up above on the other side of the valley is the Mount of Olives. And so you can just kind of see Jesus teaching out this object lesson with his disciples as they're walking at this most vital time. They celebrated the Passover meal with Jesus. They did not know he was about to be arrested, but he kept telling them that he was going away. And you could hear their sadness, especially in chapter 16. You can hear the sadness in their voice when they realize they might not get to be with him on a day-to-day basis anymore. That's the presence of Jesus in their life. So he gives them this object lesson. And this time of the year, it would be mid-April in the Middle East, and I can imagine Jesus taking, you know, as they're walking, say, you know, picking up, this thing and talking about this vine, you know, and, and using this object lesson, just talking to him. And he's doing this in a way that is very intentional if you stop and look at it. And so I had to ask myself, why would Jesus give the disciples this teaching right now? And the answer is simple. They needed it. They needed it. And I feel like Right now at this time in our church existence, in my ministry in Abilene, Kansas, in your walk as a regular attender or covenant partner or even as a visitor today, you need this. See, these people have just been informed that Jesus is going away, but that his work was going to continue and that it was going to continue through them and through their lives. This is news to them. Check it out, John 14, verse 12. He says, Truly I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do. And he will do even greater works than these because I am going to the Father. He's telling them that. Now, there's been a lot of people over the years who have looked at this verse and said, well, if Jesus raised people from the dead, then I should raise people. And if Jesus healed the blind, I should heal. No, it's not about greater works. It's about greater in number works. You are going to go all across the world. You're going to talk to thousands and thousands of people over the years, my Christian brothers and sisters. You're going to take the work that I've done and you're going to increase that in number. That's what the greater means here. But if they were going to carry on the work of the Lord, they needed to know how to produce that kind of fruit in their lives. And so this morning, 2,000 years removed from that night, the work of the Lord still marches on. And for many of us, and I talk to some of you, and you know me, it doesn't matter what happens in Abilene or Kansas or the United States or in the world. It doesn't, ha- it doesn't matter. The work of the Lord in us will march on. It will go forward. And that's where we need to set our face like flint and do what I'm going to explain to you today. And when you hear it, you're going to be like, is it that easy? And the answer is yes. And that's what makes it wonderful. See, we do the work of the Lord and we can produce the kind of fruit that honors the kingdom in our lives. And the answer is found in these verses. And it's because of this passage all about becoming a genuine disciple is about bearing fruit to the Lord. And I don't know about you, but I want to be authentic and a genuine disciple. That's what I concern myself with most of the time over the last 15 years. And it led me here today 
And for some of you, it led you to where you're sitting today. Because at the end of the day, you want to be an authentic, genuine disciple for Jesus Christ because you've surrendered your life to him and you know that without him, nothing makes sense or works. So let's take a few minutes this morning from this view about the true vine in Jesus and see how we can become more like him. Point number one in your notes today, the personality of the true vine. Let's look at the personality of the true vine. Verses one through three, it says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes and he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it'll be produce more fruit. And then here it is, verse three, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. See, do you see the genuineness of the true vine? And then there's the gardener of the true vine. That could be a whole message in and of itself with those two outline points. See, the first one, the genuineness of the true vine, Jesus and Jesus alone possesses the life within himself. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. All other vines are counterfeit. He alone is the true source of everlasting, abundant life. And because he's the true source, he's all I want. I don't want any of the other mumbo-jumbo. And then the gardener of the true vine, who's that? That's the father. The word gardener refers to the vine dresser or the owner of the vine or the one who has the responsibility to grow the garden, to grow the vineyard, caring for the vineyard. Jesus tells us straight up, my father, the heavenly father, is the gardener. And what's the key phrase in all of this? It's in verse 2. It's right there, right in front of you. In me. Jesus says, in me is how I deal with genuine believers. It's always in me. Jesus isn't speaking about those who profess Christ and have never possessed him. He's not speaking about people who are the tares walking around with the wheat. He's talking about wheat only here. The gardener is involved in everything that has to do with the vine. This, this verse zeroes in on some specific duties the gardener has in regard to the vine. And again, this could be a whole other message about the protection, the purifying, the challenging of the branch. Let's look at them briefly. You see the protection first, right? The gardener provides tender watch and care and protection for the vineyard. I don't know about you, but I'm so happy that God sees it all. He sees so much more than what I can see. You know, I don't know what the benefit is going to come out from our uh, block party yesterday, but I know God's got something planned. We were faithful and put our best foot forward. May not have looked like all of what we may have thought it might have looked like, but there was some cool stuff that happened yesterday. What about when you've shared that message with somebody or you sent a text encouraging to somebody or you posted something on Facebook and got 13 likes and you sh should have got 50? God uses all of that for his purposes, if you are abiding in the vine. And God sees it all, and he's protecting the vine. And I praise the Lord that his knowledge, nothing passes it. The gaze of our Heavenly Father is on everything. And then you see the purifying. The gardener uses a few methods of purifying his vineyard. He challenges the branch. Now, the word in our text says removed. Another version says take away. It means it doesn't mean what you think it means, okay? The gardener will take the unfruitful branch and actually lift it up from the dirt which it has fallen to give it a better 
chance to be productive. People always use this verse to say that if you're not showing fruit and you're, and you're in the vine, that Jesus is going to cut you off. No. There's a guy named James Montgomery Boyce, and he's an old-school scholar. And I read his stuff. Just For those of you visiting today, I'm not a Greek scholar. I don't know if you picked up on that. But I stand on the shoulders of others who are. And so I can... But I, I, it's hard for me to... You know, when you take the Greek verb ario and you translate that through... <laughs> I, I just feel like a fraud because I know that's not me. But that's the truth. This James guy taught me that you take the Greek word... You know, it's a verb, ario, and it's translated take away. It's translated removed. That's not what's happening. It's actually translated lift up, which makes so much more sense. Because if you, now if you put that through the lens of the agriculture of the day, what would a gardener do if the vine is in the dirt? They just slice it off and get rid of it? No. A lot of times what they would do in the ancient practices is they would lift that up and attach it in a different way so it could get sunlight, so it could get better opportunity for growth. Those caring for an ancient grapevine would make sure that that's how they did it. Because the pruning is coming in a minute, but this lifting up is also part of the gardener wanting fruit to come from his vine. See, on a personal level, this means that when we get to a place in our barren Christian lives and we are unfruitful and we're just hanging out, the Lord will have to reach into our lives, sometimes in a disturbing way, manner to upset our slumber, but he will lift us up in an effort to challenge us. Sometimes he might even possibly shock us to growth. There are times when the Lord can only accomplish this through correction and discipline, which if responded to with repentance will help us to be fruitful for his glory, not fruitful for our glory. And that's a distinctive that we need to keep in mind. If, however, we choose to go on in our sins, there's a price to pay. And it's an impact. At the very least, it impacts the fruit in your life and the effectiveness for the kingdom. And some people are like, well, I don't care as long as I get into heaven. Okay. You might be in the dirt and need to be lifted up. Because the Lord will challenge areas of our lives. And we do not run from his challenge. Instead of running from God, turn and run to him. All of his correction, all of his discipline, all of his proof of our love and our relationship with him, that will actually cleanse our branch. You see, he wants to clean the branch. That's, the gardener removes things. That's the pruning back that he's talking about here in these verses. Things like sucker branches, useless buds, misdirected shoots, discolored leaves, they get trimmed away, pruned back. See, anything that consumes life but produces no fruit must go. That's the Bible way. I'm not saying whether you're in Christ or not in Christ. If you are abiding in Christ and you produce no fruit, there's reasons for it. Either your life's in the dirt or you've got a bunch of stuff hanging around your vine that needs to be cut off and eliminated so that you can grow. Not you as a believer grow, but the fruit that God generates in your life grows. See, when we allow things into our lives that hinder our walk with the Lord, we're in danger of pruning. I've explained this to you, and this does not necessarily apply to you. 
but it did to me. I had to prune watching news out of my life. I cannot watch the news anymore. I get headlines emailed to me from a couple different credible sources that I see every day, so I know what's going on in the world, and I read the news. But I can't watch it anymore. It caused too much angst in my life. It was causing me to not bear fruit. I had to cut it from my life. And that's just a benign example. There are a bunch of other things. You guys know what they are. Whatever you're thinking about right now, uh, is that possibly? Yes. Yes, it is. Pruning by its very nature sounds painful, and it isn't always easy to cut the junk from our lives. But if we do not do it, the Lord who loves us surely will find a way. He, the more you pursue to be a genuine disciple and you're not getting rid of that stuff, God will find a way to prune it out of you. See, he gives us this advice. It, it's so easy. It's right there in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Let's look at it together. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. It says, therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance in the sin that so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that lies before us. This could easily just spin off into another sermon. You know, the mirror and the knife. Like a mirror, the Word of God reveals our problems. For those of you taking notes, write down James 1, 23 and 24. Look it up later. And then, like a knife, the Word of God cuts to the heart. Jot down Hebrews 4.12. See, the question is this. If the Lord has been speaking to you through His Word, have you been heeding the call from the Lord? Do we as a collective group heed the call from the Lord? Do I as your pastor heed the call on my life daily, weekly, monthly? Does the leadership team here do that? Do the covenant partners do that? Do the regular attenders do that? Visitors, I know we've got a bunch of visitors here today. Do you do that? See, I challenge you to allow the Lord to prune your life with His Word. And if that is not accomplished, He probably will take further measures. That's what He does. Let's go to point number two. The purpose of the true vine. The purpose of the true vine. I'm going to break this down to two verses in our text, and they're not side by side. Verse 2 and verse 8. Looking at verse 2, it says, Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes or lifts up. And he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it'll produce more fruit. Go down to verse 8. My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. See, there's a distinct purpose and there's a distinguished purpose. purpose. And that could be another sermon. Just those things. We could just grind on that for half an hour. But quickly, in verse 2, there's a distinct purpose. The vine has but one purpose. To produce fruit. The vine exists for that purpose alone. Without the fruit, the vine and all of its efforts are wasted. The true vine has a singular purpose, and that is to bear fruit to the glory of God. Now, verse 8, there is a distinguished purpose. The reason the vine desires to produce fruit is so that the vine dresser, the gardener, might receive the honor. When the fruit is yielded from a vineyard, the vine, the branches, the soil, even the fruit does not get the credit. All glory passes on to the gardener. 
So it is with the Lord Jesus. Everything he did and does was and is to glorify the Father. This ought to be the burning desire of every child of God. To live our lives every waking minute to bring glory to the Father in heaven. There is something wrong in any life when there is no desire to bring glory and honor to the God who loves us, sustains us, and cares for us every step along the way. Notice this truth. The vine itself does not bear fruit. Its fruit are the branches. The branch life. The branches have the obligation of bearing the fruit. The vine supplies its life to the branches, and they take that life and use it to bear fruit. So there are a couple things about bearing fruit I want, I want you to know. I want you to notice two things. This is, this is big. First, the branch must be attached to the vine or the trunk or whatever I call the trunk, the vine. If you are not in the vine, then there's nowhere for you to share in the vine's life. This is, this is the vital union between the believer and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is, this is the deal right here, the true vine. We need to recognize our standing this morning. If we are in the vine, then we are with him at Calvary. And he, when he arose from the dead, we were there. We were part of it. It's, it's us. And if that's the case, then our old man has been crucified and we have been raised to walk a new life in Jesus. A new life. Remember what I always say, he didn't come to make bad people good, he came to make dead people live. We're no longer dead in our trespasses, instead we're alive with Christ. We are with him, we, we are there today. He's ascended to heaven, and we are seated there in the person of our blessed Savior right now. Ephesians 2.6 lays it out. Let's look at it. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus. Next thing out of the two things. The branch must remain on the vine. Other translations say abide in the vine. It's the word I'm going to use from here on out, abide. We must maintain that fellowship with the vine if he is to live through us and produce fruit in our lives. This is only accomplished by abiding in Him. Our text says in verse 4 to remain on. How does one remain on or one abide? How does one abide in? Prayer, studying the Word, denying self, holding tight to God. That's what we do. The stronger we abide to the vine, the more His life flows through us and it produces the fruit He desires. Are we living those kind of lives? Across the globe, across America, across Kansas, across Dickinson County, it's easy for us to look at all of those things and ask, why is Christianity so weak? Well, we're not abiding in the vine. Because verse 5 shows us that the branch must be available to the vine. Look at verse 5. It says, I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. It's a passive activity to bear fruit. We get caught up sometimes in having to do all these things to bear fruit for the kingdom. No, we don't have to. 
Is it right to try to have some sort of strategic plan to do outreach? Of course. It's not wrong, but you don't put your faith in that. You put your faith in abiding in the vine. Is it right to try to pursue these kind of fill-in-the-blank things for Emily and I making a movie, doing radio, doing whatever for, for you, witnessing to your neighbor, talking to your coworker, doing these things, coming to church, doing potlucks, is it fellowship? Is it right to do these things? Of course. Do we look for the fruit in those things? Yep. Do we produce the fruit? No. That's up to God. Our job in this passive activity is to simply abide. Isn't that cool? Isn't that liberating? To know I'm not required to do anything other than hang on and be obedient. And that's it. And out of my obedience, God will lead me to pick up the phone and call somebody and I'll do it. Or he'll lead me to pray for you. I pray for a lot of you all week long. Some of you may not be working very well. I joke. How do I know? God's fruit is His fruit. I'm abiding. Get it? It's the vine's responsibility to produce the fruit in my life and in your life, and it's our responsibility to abide and be obedient. And again, we can't help us study God's Word when we're abiding. couple days go and we're busy and we're traveling we're doing different things it's like wow you know or what i do is i I have these devotionals that i read and i get a little nugget here and a little nugget there but i have not sat down and read a chapter in two or three days i feel it because i'm trying to abide in the vine see it's not an effort it's not a works-based thing we don't have to work and labor to build fruit we never build or grow our own fruit we abide We hang on, and if we yield, he will live through your life and mine. So when we speak of fruit, what do we mean? What will be produced in our lives? What's going to happen? Well, i got three things. There are three basic fruit. I almost said fruits. I do that a lot. We might have corns for dinner. My grammar gets gooder the more you hang out here, trust me. There are three basic fruit that the Lord bears in the lives of his children. You ready? Sanctification. We become more like him. Uh, Romans 6.22, Philippians 1.11, and Colossians 1.10. I'll say them again for, I see a couple people writing. Romans 6.22, Philippians 1.11, and Colossians 1.10. Spiritually, we start to behave more like him. That's number two, Galatians 5, through 23. Fruit of the Spirit. And souls, sanctification, spirituality, and souls. We're burdened like him, Romans 1, 13, for souls, for people, for children. And to me, that is the biggest fruit indicator. Are people being saved and ushered into the kingdom of God? Are they, are they being saved and starting to walk the narrow path? Are they being saved and now they abide? They hang on. They are grafted in me, verse 2, says Jesus. So then the question comes, and this is the second to the last of, no, the third to the last possible sermon in this text, and that would be about the fruit, the quality, the quantity, 
and the quagmire of fruitlessness. There's another outline for you right there. See, the quality of the fruit, this is not the branch's responsibility. When we are abiding in the vine, he is reproducing his life in us, and we can rest assured that the fruit that is produced is honoring to the Lord. Again, this is a liberating truth. As far as the quality of the fruit, what it looks like, not my problem. Not your problem. What about the the quantity? Again, this is not the responsibility of the branch. Some will produce much, some will produce little, which depends upon who? The vine. Our duty, I'm going to repeat myself, is to abide. That's it. However, it's clear from this passage in Scripture that God anticipates a steady progression of level of fruitfulness in our lives. Notice the progression of verses 2 and 8. It goes like this. No fruit, fruit, more fruit, much fruit. The stronger we abide in the vine, the more fruit he's going to yield through our lives. And the more that that happens, the more you realize it has nothing to do with you. In fact, a lot of times, a lot of people I know are like me, where you actually get all clenchy. If God starts doing some big things in your life, it's like, I ain't worthy of this. He, and you watch him do it. And the minute you start to put yourself forward like, I think I can be somebody, boom, 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 you fall down. And then God lifts you up, gives you some sunlight, prunes back that selfishness, prunes back that arrogance, and you abide. Then there's the quagmire of fruitlessness. Not every branch abides in the vine as it should. It's still attached, but it has ceased to draw life from the vine's fullness. You want to you identify American Christianity in general terms for the questionable? You can't say they're not disciples. You can't say they're saved. You can't say that they're lost, and you can't say that they're not abiding in the law. You don't know who they are because there's just no fruit in their lives. If we were going to look at it, we could say that it has ceased to draw life from the vine's fullness. As a result, it is fruitless and withered. When this happens, there will be some certain results. I'll give you the three. Loss of fellowship, loss of vitality, loss of reward. Loss of fellowship, cast out, not abiding, can lose relationships. That happens. A withered branch still possesses the same nature as divine, but it is no longer attached in the sense that it is drawing life and is in fellowship with anyone. The loss of fellowship is that person who says, I, been a, I met a guy, I met a guy uh, last week uh, out of state. Um, I, I went, sorry. I went out of state to pick up a used car. And I met a guy. And uh, he says that, yeah, I'm a Christian. And, and uh, um, yeah, I, I, I gave my life to the Lord. And I said, well, what church do you go to? And he said, well, I've been to church in 20 years. All right, Lone Ranger, show me in the Scripture how that's abiding and being fruitful. Loss of vitality, you're withers, you're possessing no life. Death and dried up, this describes many Christians across the plain this morning. And 
it didn't used to be this way, but now there is a deadness where there used to be life. There is weakness where there used to be power. There is emptiness where there used to be fullness. And my counsel to you is that we will build Lifehouse as a place where people can come back and renew that long-standing fellowship of abiding in Christ. And once again, we will draw the life-giving juice from the vine and Him alone. And all the results are Him. And He'll begin to produce fruit that we didn't see coming. I hate calling people out by name uh, from the pulpit because it just, but I'm going to just say this. There's an answer to prayer in this room today because I, I was talking to God about just how we needed a little more life in a couple areas of this, this church. And God sent us a guy. He's our sound tech and our drummer. I don't know why. He was at Revolution Church, a church that I always think is cooler and better than us. But here we are. <laughs> and he comes here. And I, I mean, I could just go around the room and point at every one of you and, and say a story about what God has laid on my heart about you. And it's all about you abiding in the vine and growing fruit that's beyond your skill set. And I watch God do it. And it's fantastic. And the reward is coming. The reward is coming soon. But there's a loss of reward. When this life is over, many who named the name of Jesus and were unfruitful, they're going to experience the loss of every reward. And many will think they're just content to go to heaven. And their only desire is to skate into heaven on the skin of their teeth. Just as long as I get in, praise Jesus. I don't think heaven's going to roll that way, people. I think that we want to have those rewards that he gives us for bearing fruit so we can put them at his feet as an act of worship. Last point, I know we're running long, so I'm going to go quick. Last point is the promise of the true vine. I told you this was four or five messages in one. I knew it was going to be a little bit long, but bear with me. The promise of the true vine. Don't check out. Verses 7 through 11, lay it out. Those who abide in the true vine can rest assured of certain precious promises. You get an unhindered prayer life, and you get unending love, and you get a joy, a truth about joy. Let me hit you with them. The unhindered prayer life. When we're abiding as we should be, and we're drawing our life from Him, and His will will be our will, every time we pray and everything we pray for will fit in His will perfectly, and He will grant us our requests. Now, a lot of people take that as being a genie in the body, uh, a genie in a bottle, bottle. Name it and claim it. You know, that, 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 that's not how God works. You know, God responds to you in a way as you're abiding that if you're asking in his will, he, of course, is going to give it to you. Why? Because that request will grow fruit and give him glory as the gardener. So you're not asking for the new carpet and the new car. Some people won't come to God's house on earth, but he thinks he's building them a mansion on the other side. Well, where's the fruit? Be a fruit inspector. We talked about it on the judging message just from two weeks ago. Uh, you'll get unending love. Jesus loves all men always, verse 9. But those who are abiding in him have entered into a special, ever-deepening relationship with him. This is the promise of the vine to the branches. And then in verse 11, it says, I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. 
Joy is not happiness which depends on happenings and circumstances. It's a settled, deep matter. It's a settled pleasure. The deep, settled assurance and confidence in our relationship with the Father and with Christ is a joy unspeakable and full of glory, the Scriptures say, and it ignites this heart to serve God. A couple things real quick about joy. Joy is divine in nature. It originates with God and is only given by God. It's absolutely unaffected by earthly and material things. Number two, joy is not dependent on happiness. God's joy abides at all times, even in the most difficult, for those who abide in the vine. Joy is a product of faith. When one's assured standing in Christ, joy is the result. You're assured standing in Christ, joy is the result. Number four, joy in the Lord produces faithfulness to the Lord. When you have joy in the Lord, you just start remaining faithfulness. He gives you courage in the middle of the battles. That doesn't mean you're not going to make mistakes. You're not going to do something that you wish you didn't do. Or you're not going to have not done something you wish you would have done. Ever been in those situations where it happens so fast and an hour later you're thinking, man, I should have said this, I should have said that. You see what I'm getting at? You're... You're going to just have this faithfulness in the Lord, and you're just going to trust Him. Now, as we close, a couple questions. Are you in the vine? Are you? Because if you've never been saved and grafted into Jesus, that's what this altar is for. When we close the service, who cares what people think? You come, and you come to this altar and kneel down, I'll meet you here, and I'll pray with you. You can pull me aside, we can go in my office and talk. Whatever's best for you. But if you're not in the vine, it all starts there. Otherwise, the rest of this is just going over your head. Number two, are you abiding in the vine, those of you who are saved? Are you drawing your strength from him so that he is able to produce fruit in your life? And if not, take some time today and go to him and talk to him about it. You know, strengthen your abide. Are you bearing his fruit today? If you've never been saved, please come forward and do it. If you are saved and you are a covenant partner, let's ask God to prune away anything that we don't need in our life so that we can bear his fruit. And again, it's not intentional effort on our part. Will there be effort? Yes. But the intentional effort is not to bear fruit. The intentional effort is to abide in the vine of Christ and watch him bear the fruit. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this message, Lord. Thank you for these reminders. Thank you that you are with us. And just with a heart of thanksgiving, we just want to praise your name, Lord. You lived the perfect life we couldn't live. You died the sacrificial death in our place because we deserved it. And you've given us life with victory over death, hell, and the grave with the resurrection. And Lord, we claim that as we abide in you. Lord, as you produce fruit in our life, may the gardener, may the heavenly Father get the glory. Holy Spirit, as you indwell in us, speak to each and every one of us as we go about our business this week. We just love you, Lord. We need you. You're all of we got. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for tuning in to our Sunday message. To donate, request prayer, or to contact Pastor Chris, you can write to Lifehouse Church at P.O. Box 661, Abilene, Kansas, 67410, or go online at lifehouse-church.com. On behalf of the entire congregation, thanks again.
for your support.